0: All right, well, welcome to our final uh, cultural engagement chapel of the semester. Um, I always know I'm at a seminary when we pray not just for hope, but we pray for eschatological hope. I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah so that's, that's, that's uh, you know, uh, I'm still contemplating that. Anyway, uh, our, our topic today, actually we're going to work to define it. Um, uh, we're we're going to discuss uh, a category uh, of uh, sociology that impacts the church that uh, we don't think about that much. Uh, how many of you know what adolescence is? Okay, all right. Uh, yeah, it's painful, I know. <laughs> it, that's right. So, um, how many of you know that that word actually is a fairly recent word in the vocabulary of, uh, of the English language? Anyone know the date that it, that it, that it was spawned? Well, of course you know it, okay. 1904, okay. Um, he said well,
1: 1910, so yeah. uh,
0: off. <laughs> years. Uh, So my guests today are, are uh, Mark Matlock, who is with Youth Specialties, and of course you all know Jay Sedwick, who, uh, who dressed up for the occasion. I really appreciate that. Uh, and, and we're going to discuss this category that isn't just adolescence, it's Uh, And and we're going to actually talk about this difference, um, what's sometimes called extended adolescence and sometimes called emerging adolescence. And here's what's happened to the term. It's grown. Um, If you think of adolescence, you normally think of the teenage years. My definition of a teenager from a parental point of view is, is that you know your kids hit teenage years when you go from being the greatest person that's ever walked the earth as a parent to dropping completely off the ranking list somewhere as the child enters a black hole. And then somewhere in the 20s, they emerge on the other end. And and you regain some status, but you never quite get up to where you were. And when that happens, they start asking you questions again and asking you for advice. You should just be grateful and not ask how it happened. Just be grateful to God that they've emerged from the black <laughs> hole. So, so that's, uh, that's adoles- we tend to think of adolescence as the teen years, but what's happened sociologically is that's all changed. So, Mark, why don't to explain to us what the change is and, and why we're talking about either emerging or uh, or extended adolescence?
1: Yeah, the founder of Youth Specialties, Wayne Rice, a uh, co-founder, he would always say that in your teen years, your children fire you as parents, <laughs> and then they hire you back as consultants when they graduate from college. <laughs> and so it's kind of a, a similar picture there. Um, well, what, what seems to be happening is that we know that you know from a you know that we look at adolescence's biology, sociologically, and then, you know, developmentally, there's all these different things going on. And the biology of adolescence and puberty is actually going lower, mm-hmm. where we're seeing um, teens going through puberty at 10 or 11. Did you catch his voice crack yeah, when he I said, did. puberty? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm still hoping. Uh, maybe this is the year. Um, and uh, the... Uh, uh, but, but now, what we're seeing is is that you know it used to be that somewhere around you know sixteen to eighteen, we saw people coming out of that phase of life mm-hmm. and going into maturity and and becoming more like an adult. And this is why when you watch old movies, sometimes you know you're shocked at you know they're teenagers, they're acting like adults, well, because sociologically they were coming into that. Um, at that time, now what we're seeing is that people are staying into adolescence or adolescent-like behavior into their 20s. Um, some sociologists even say early 30s. Mm-hmm. So that's given rise to this thing: is this extended adolescence, or is this emerging adulthood? Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of different uh, viewpoints on that.
0: So we're talking about the age group really between, say, 13ish and and really 34. I mean, and, and part of the. Part of the part, <laughs> yeah. See, you see, we're trying to, a youth we're trying to keep you young, okay? <laughs> so, um, and and really, part of it is is this: at what point does a person um, emerge from their education, uh, establish themselves in a job, establish themselves as starting a family, that and all that is getting stretched out, and that all has implications for the church. So let's talk about the terminology first and then we'll talk about the implications for the church. Um, terminology, as you said, uh, you talked about, uh, we talked about emerging, what, emerging adulthood, is that the phrase that you use, versus extended adolescence.
1: Let's talk about the difference between those two terms and what they communicate. Yeah. So when we're looking at, you know, that age, age range, when we look at the percentage of people who completed a major life transition by 30. So when we say that we're talking about leaving home, uh, finishing school, college, financially independent, getting married and having a a, a child, Mm -hmm. we look at those life stages in 1960, 77% of women and 65% of men had achieved those life stages by age of 30. Mm -hmm. Today we're looking at 46% of women and 31% of men. Mm -hmm. So this is a Phenomenon. This is not a small thing or an idea that somebody cooked up to sell articles or a book. This is a reality that we're facing, and um, and and so when we're looking at that uh, that uh, that emerging adulthood and the, the extended adolescence. The question is. Is are we elongating the teen years, or are we putting something new, a new stage, in between actually reaching those life stages of adulthood in the 30s? Mm. And there is debate out there. Mm. Um, people that typically are baby boomers and older tend to look at it as extended adolescence. Why can't these you know yeah, people just grow up? It. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Why you know I throw my kids out, they come back. The boomerang generation <laughs> they're right. called, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, and then you've got another group of sociologists that are looking at this going way. a minute, look at everything that's changing in the world. Nothing that used to stay conventional, Uh, that said conventional, uh, stable life is valid anymore. The 30-year mortgage may be the kiss of death Mm -hmm. uh, to this coming generation. So, you know, signing on to a big big corporation doesn't mean you're gonna retire in that corporation. Mm -hmm. So there's nothing quite the same as it was, um, you know, several decades ago. And so we have this group of people that are trying to figure out what does it mean to be stable? Mm -hmm. And so there's a group of of, of sociologists led by a guy named Jeff Arnett who, Who basically have coined the term emerging adulthood and actually say this is a whole new category of development. It's not adolescence, so it's Mm -hmm. not extending. Mm -hmm. It's but it's not adulthood either. It's something before that. Hmm.
0: Well, okay. So the church deals with this, and here's my portrait of what happens in in in, in the church world. We get uh, we get the graduating senior from high school. We send them off to college. We say "Sayonara." Uh, and and hope you hook up somewhere down the road with another church. Uh, no, yeah, I know I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. Hope you connect <laughs> with actually, another church better. down that's the better. road. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and uh, in the midst of in the midst of doing this, uh, we wish you well. Um, but what's happening
2: when that happens? Well, a lot of the churches are not paying attention to this particular phenomenon. But, uh, they, in many ways, have programmed and over-programmed for their youth, for mm-hmm. their for their teenagers up through their graduation from high school, and for the most part, they don't have the money or or aren't paying enough attention to the students as they graduate from high school and the transition that they go through when they finish high school and go off to college or go off to a college education or go off to. Um, you know, a job kind of situation, and uh, they don't have the money to hire somebody to work with that age. And these teenagers who have been basically spoon-fed an awful lot of activity and uh, an awful lot of attention, mm-hmm. uh, all of a sudden they graduate. And we kind of kick them out the door and help that they have a great there's life. No activity, and Figure, no yeah. attention. And and the, wait a minute, what happened? All this attention, all these things that were going on for me, and 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 it was all about me in so many ways. And now I'm kind of left to figure it out on my own and and try to navigate this new time of life, Um, the parents and the parental involvement and influence are oftentimes nowhere near as strong as they were because many of these students will now leave if they go to college, mm-hmm. um, and uh, mom isn't telling them to get up in the morning, uh, not helping them get dressed if they're even still doing that, uh, and they've got to make a lot of decisions on their own. <laughs> they're, 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 they're all of a sudden responsible or supposed to be responsible for things not happening, mm-hmm. and our church is not really giving the kind of attention that I believe this particular age group needs. We spend a lot of time with their, with the transition or focusing on the transition from uh, elementary school to the adolescent years or to Youth ministry. And most churches will spend a lot of time programming that transition, making sure we capture these young preteens into some sort of a program ministry in the church. But for whatever reason, there's been very little attention given to the transition from 12th grade when they graduate from high school and on into the great unknown. And uh, again, back to the money thing, most churches, it's a luxury to have a college minister. Mm -hmm. It's a luxury to have a young adult minister. You have to be pretty large in terms of the church itself, and you have to have a focused attention to this age group to even bother hiring somebody to do this. And so it's kind of left in a nebulous stage of not really paying attention to it.
0: And here's the impact, and if I'll just describe this and by the way uh, be prepared to ask questions because I'm going to turn to questions here in a second. Um, the, The impact of this in contrast to the way it used to be is you used to graduate, go to college, get married fairly young, have a child at a fairly young age and in that process when the parents were thinking about how are we going to raise our kids that would sometimes pull them back into the church setting. What 's happening with the elongation is is that the adult habits are being established and have been so deeply established that by the time they get married and have the child they're not asking the question of what i 'm going to do with my kid with quite the intensity they used to because they've developed their adult lifestyle in the meantime and they 've determined an alternative way to live and and they're're
1: we're, le- we're leaking a generation if I can say it that way. well, it used to be that you know attending church was evidence of a conventional life, mm-hmm. and, but now a conventional life is suicide, right? Mm-hmm. There's That's death to this generation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if, if we believe that the gospel attaches itself to culture, transforms it from the inside out, a lot of our churches have become social expressions mm-hmm. of what once worked, but we've gone through so much deep structural change globally within our own country, the church has not kept pace with being responsive to it. Even the idea of just, well, we need to hire a college person, that's not right either. Mm -hmm. There's a whole new understanding of ecclesiology and the way that it plays itself out. Uh, in how we support people as they're they're moving forward, so it's, it's re-identifying what we are as a church community, a faith community um, that I think is is at risk too. It's not just about hiring a position or coming up with a good program. Those have been some of the solves that people have tried to put out there, but that's like putting band aids, you know, on a gunshot, I mean, on a machine gun wound, or even worse, uh, an amputation. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's not going to work because the, there's so much change that's happened on a deep level. Uh, the the old Old methods for fixing them aren't going to work either. So what is you specialties working on to try and
0: help with this? I mean, what, what, what are the ways that we can move towards, uh, towards dealing with what is really not just a structural problem, but a major sociological phase that, that the church is almost um, – the way it's structured now is doesn't seem to be
1: connecting at all with what's, what, what's going on? I think one of the biggest things that we've been uh, uh, behind is uh, um, publishing a, a series of books called Sticky Faith mm-hmm. by uh, Kara Powell out of uh, Fuller uh, Seminary. And, um, what she's been doing is a lot of research on practice on how we become more intergenerational mm-hmm. in the way that we're doing things I think that's a first step toward reimagining mm-hmm. what church community is but there's also a, a lot of things that need to be thought of in terms of vocation a lot of us that are ministers that are ordained um, we received a calling maybe in, in in high school or college we pursued a, an education mm-hmm. around that we went in vocationally to that we haven't had a lot of other work experience, vocational experience. As a result, our congregants don't often come to us asking for vocational advice. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that we do have to have a vocational imagination about how we're helping people think about their platforms. I mean, we're not, mean, you know, if if you've ever filled out something online and it asks you, you know, what field are you in, right? There's no, you know, I'm a minister, I'm a pastor, I'm in the church. Maybe nonprofit is like the best that we can get that's or right. education. Well, that's actually you know? true. You know, we, it is a nonprofit uh, occupation. <laughs> yeah, 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 But how general can you get, right? <laughs> yeah, and, hey. You know, and, and when you go to the drop down box, there's Mr., there's Mrs., there's doctor, there's never Reverend, you know? <laughs> uh, not, and so it's like we're not even being tracked by yeah. the world, right, as yeah. being a significant um, market segment. Um, So, I'm sitting there going, how are we leveraging people's vocations and helping them understand that we tell them, hey, we want you to live 24-7 for God, because we have a generation that wants to do that. Mm -hmm. We have a generation that's raising their hand going, yes, but I don't think that that means showing up to church every time there's a program. Somehow I think that means being outside the walls of the church Mm -hmm. and making an engagement. And so we have to figure out how we create communities and youth ministries that are also helping our our teenagers have an imagination Mm -hmm. for how God wants to be involved in the Redemptive work um, of the church through their vocational uh, abilities
0: as well. So, Jay, how does this impact the way you think about teaching um, teaching in Christian education, etc.? What what things are are you all wrestling with as you try and prepare people for this for this shift that we are experiencing? And do come forward if you have questions. So I'm going to turn to questions uh, pretty quickly. So, if
2: you have a question, feel free to step to the mic. Well, um, just some some basic things. We obviously are talking about in my classes about um, a a disciple, more of a discipleship model of doing youth ministry rather than an entertainment or attractional model, Um, helping um, our our youth ministers that are going out of here think about the fact that what Mark said, intergenerational connection is so important. Mm -hmm. Um, So many of our our young people, their only real access to any kind of advice or help is the other stupid teenager that's sitting beside them. And and that's a terrible (laughs) place to go for an answer to a difficult life question.
0: I've never seen because, a blurb that
2: said "other stupid well, teenager." <laughs> yeah, you, you wanna, yeah. <laughs> but it's the truth. It's the truth. That's uh, right. You know, it's like the greatest pooling of ignorance—the 10th graders all getting together. You know, um, and, and so we've got to work on intergenerational connection. We've got to have a, a broad range uh, of adult leaders and a, and a broad range of of people within the church working together to to have impact. The best way to learn how to live your life, in my opinion, one of the best ways to learn how to live your life is to watch other believers who are further down the road than you are, mm-hmm. and who have who have done good things, who have made good decisions, who are healthy and adjusted. I want to I want to see what they're doing. The modeling, its a discipleship model. It's what we see in Scripture, I believe. And so, uh, trying to help the students understand that that's got to be a, an integral part of what they do. Um, they've got to think longer term. Um, if if a church does not have anything at all, not even thinking about this this college age or this young adult, this emerging adult, whatever you want to call it, um, I encourage my youth ministry students to expand their their understanding of what their job really is and to approach the church and say, hey, um, I want to pay attention to not just the kids when they get to 12th grade and and are gone, How about letting me oversee this other section of of, uh, the lifespan development that we're talking about so that there's a little bit more connection between when they graduate and when they go off into the great young adult unknown.
0: And the the potential for this is huge because with all the technology that we have, the ability to stay connected to someone, even though they may not be in geographic proximity, actually
1: does exist. So there's no reason not to think about how to pursue that.
2: And Absolutely. I,
1: I would also add, and I think you'd agree with me, Jay, that um, it's not just about the old people in the church helping the young <laughs> people out. Mm-hmm. Right? We're in an era of reverse mentoring, mm-hmm. where the older generations need to also learn from the younger generation. Mm-hmm. And when, you, when we look at teenagers, in every aspect of society, they're not, they're, they're not a child, they're not yet an adult, they're kind of nons. And so they create their own little world and tribe and infrastructure and ecology. And as the church, you know we, um, we, we have to, you know, we have to think about how we view ourselves as a church. We look at these teenagers and we put them off to the side. They're like a little church within a church. Are we inviting them into the imagination of what the body of Christ is? If we really believe that the body is distinctly made of individual parts, but the parts are absolutely interdependent on one another... We need to be asking these teenagers, not saying that you know the, the stupid other one. I know you right, don't really right. mean that, but but, <laughs> um, but but to go to them and say you know, we need your questions. We need your imagination in how we are being the body of Christ in this world. You are experiencing this in a really different way. How do we as a church learn from you so that we don't become dogmatic? We don't become traditional. And we always use teenagers to be slave labor, to pull weeds, to paint things in the church, to serve the old people at a banquet, you know? Uh, And hey, we're all part of the body of Christ and we're engaging together. But are we inviting them to be co-conspirators in this gospel work, uh, as the church, because we have teenagers that want that. And we're Mm -hmm. finding that teenagers that are invited into Mm -hmm. that kind of an imagination, Mm -hmm. they stay with the church Mm -hmm. and, uh, and they, they're going to do incredible things. Um, and so we have to elevate it's the church is the only institution I know of that says you as a member of the body of Christ have equal importance to its function uh, because, just because you're here and the Holy Spirit resides inside of you, mm-hmm. um, no other institution looks at teenagers that way. As a church, we ha- and we don't uh, functionally, mm-hmm. but we should theologically realize, hey, these they're equal parts of the church. Uh, how do we? How are they vital to our existence? If we don't think they're vital to it, yeah. we need
2: to think our ecclesiology. The uh, issue over again. The issue of value is what he's talking about in many ways. Be- adolescence has unfortunately devalued teenagers mm-hmm. for for such a long time. Mm-hmm. We, we haven't, in fact, one of the things I talk in my classes is the fact that these young people have so much potential mm-hmm. and they have so much ability that for a large part of our population or segment of our population say, no, they're, they, they kind of need to sit on the sidelines until they grow up, until they figure these things out. Um, there's, a, there's a book by uh, Alvin Reed, Raising the Bar. It's, a, it's an interesting book that, that he wrote basically saying, you know, teenagers are gonna rise to the bar that you set. Mm-hmm. And if you think that they're a bunch of stupid 10th graders, they're going to act like stupid 10th graders Mm -hmm. but if you raise the bar and challenge them to step up they're capable of so much more in terms of even their own maturity their own understanding and so i I do absolutely agree with mark that that the more we open the doors and invite them to be a part of what we're doing the the more stick sticky faith the more stick they'll have and and staying with the church
3: god is a genius storyteller and the evidence of this is threaded throughout scripture These stories will spark holy curiosity in your own faith, because once you see these connections, you can't unsee them. God wastes no person, place, or thing. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Cat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform.
0: Okay. Now I have someone who's ready to ask a question. Go for it. How do you, how do you test, test?
2: One, two, one, two. Yeah. There we go.
1: Uh, I just had a question, actually two questions, about uh, just maturity as an evangelical culture. Do we, I mean, it seems like we're we're valuing a younger culture over an older culture. And is that contributing to this whole issue of saying, well, you don't have to be old yet. You can still hang on to this younger more attractive life, because that's better. And then uh, my other question is, with this hammering, basically, generation, and with divorce rates what they are, is the solution um, a program
4: rather than family training to help foster maturity in this generation? Thank you. Two questions.
0: You let's deal with it? a family one first because okay. I think that that's uh, an interesting question. It's actually something that we did talk about when we did the podcast, which is that most church structures assume a family structure, and that actually cuts out a significant portion of people that uh, that are functioning in our society because they don't come from whole family structures. Mm-hmm. So so let's talk about that one a little bit, the impact of, of the way in which uh, the breakup of the family impacts the church and how the
1: church deals with it. Well, I know for myself, I get very concerned right now seeing a lot of churches moving toward these family-oriented ministry models. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and, and it sounds, you know, what? How could you be against that? Um, but um, I think that the church is actually like losing its identity as the body of Christ by putting so much emphasis on moms and dads. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, the church, the body of Christ, is called to make disciples in the world. <laughs> and parents that are part of the church Uh, have special responsibilities uh, uh, as far as that's concerned. But we have so many teenagers in our world who do not have parents that are participating in the church, that are not engaged in church, if everything's focusing on the family in the church, then how in the world does a student who comes from a blended family or family that isn't operating in that kind of a dynamic, how are they getting what they need spiritually, and how are, can they even come into contact with a church that's in that situation? So I think there's some things where we're, you know, our consumeristic models of the church are like, hey, serving families, good thing, win, but is it really uh, moving and advancing you know, the Great Commission uh, in making disciples? and reaching teenagers Yeah.
0: You know. Okay now the second question is an interesting one too and that is how do we how do we balance this this older generation younger generation problem particularly given the fact that what sociology is also telling us is the attitudes of the two groups and the preferences of the two groups are so different. So, uh, the way you see it oftentimes in the church is even in the selection of music in a worship service in terms of how you communicate that you're inclusive if you want to use that word by even the music that you choose to worship by how do you how do you deal with that and negotiate with that issue
2: i think it's all about money (laughs) <laughs> and it's an interesting uh, or a simple answer, but there's so much money being spent. Um, it's kind of a reflection of our culture. So much money being spent on the youngest youngest, and younger generation. Mm-hmm. Um, so much of our economy, uh, especially in the entertainment world, is, is centered around um, trying to get the dollar out of the pocket of the young person. Um, they they are a lot easier to get the money from. Mm-hmm. And so much of our marketing and the, the TV programs and, and the music and uh, the movies and everything that, you know, when you hear about the ratings, the key ratings on television, it's that coveted market of 18 to, you know, 35 or whatever. That's what they're really looking for. So there, there's a, I think it's somewhat of a snowball situation where there's so much emphasis placed on that. Uh, and I think the the older generation kind of gets lost in, in that situation. Uh, they don't feel like the culture is is. Um, um, you know, trying to meet their needs and trying to, to bring things to them. So there is a huge I think a huge disconnect the, uh, and, and a controversy between the two. Bringing them together. Um, the older generations give money. Exactly. The younger generations will show up because it appeals to them but they don't necessarily right, give. Right. And so. it, and a little sidelight on it is the whole concept of stewardship. Mm-hmm. Um, churches are facing real problems right now with, with um, financially being viable because the younger generation, um, even if they've been taught some stewardship concepts, they're holding on to their money for their own benefit. Mm-hmm. They're not. They're not in a situation where they want to feel like or, or think like they should be giving to the church and supporting the church. So we've got the older generation, really, with most of the wealth uh, that they've that they've maintained, that they've you know handled well and that they've saved for. They're the ones that are supporting most of the programming, and yet the young people aren't stepping up to do that. It's it's going to be an interesting thing to see how that demographic uh, alters the way the well, church let me, operates.
0: Let me flip the question because I've involved with the church that I've actually the church that I'm been involved with here in Dallas, I've been involved with since I was a student at seminary, and I've watched that congregation grow older, uh, so much so that uh, the, the, the conversation that we've had in our own elder board has been, uh, we're, we're a very popular church for the over 50s, but what does that mean for us in 20 years? Yeah. And so um, so when you think through that problem, if, a, if an older generation hangs on to churches they like it and are used to it, the risk is on the back end. That they don't connect with with the with their kids that are coming through, et cetera, and they go elsewhere, mm-hmm. and that and they don't they don't end up functioning. So how do you how do you work to create a balance between? What the older generation, and after all, the older generation is the one that's contributing. They're responsible for the budget of the church, et cetera. Their preferences are, are, are speak with their dollars in some ways. Um, uh, how, do you, how do you reverse that trend, and how do, you, how do you create a leadership that is sensitive to that transition? Write
1: a book about it. (laughs) Um, I think. I think one of the challenges is, you know, the church building. They take a lot of money, Mm -hmm. and you have a generation who's thinking a lot differently about money and brick and mortar and um, and funding. You Mm -hmm. know, with crowd crowd sourcing and and things like that. So it will be interesting to see what generation steps up to say, "Hey, I want to pay for the cracks in the parking lot," Mm -hmm. Um, because there's. I don't think that's an exciting thing to give money to mm-hmm. when I can go and participate in these other things that feel like they're meeting more direct needs. So I think there are going to be some real interesting questions to come up around what the real costs of running a church are related to what people are willing to contribute and to. And what the values
0: that, are that are reflected in those choices. And what
1: the values are, yeah. And yeah. That, that's one of those deep structure shifts that's going to, that's going to happen as this generation continues to emerge yeah. and uh, takes
2: on those roles that's a great characteristic of the millennial generation. Mm -hmm. We're just throwing that term out for the first time, Mm -hmm. but uh, is that they are uh, altruistic. They want to get involved in something that really makes a difference. Mm -hmm. Um, They, they want to do something where they can see benefit. They can see um, results um, makes a change in a person's life and um, you know, repainting the, the sanctuary or um, paving the parking lot. It doesn't carry the kind of weight um, that the young people today are really looking for. So I agree that what Mark said is is an important thing. Um, Having the kinds of things in your church that um, really uh, inspire these young people to get involved personally um, is is really going to make a difference. We're all willing to pay for infrastructure and capacity building
1: when the payoff of impact is is on right. is on the front end. It's just that now it seems like so much of the focus is on we need a new HVAC unit. We need you know, <laughs> yeah, right. and and you're sitting there going, wait a minute, what's the bigger thing that we're a part of that that HVAC unit helps accomplish? Yeah. So there's a it's a big storytelling.
0: Yeah, I I think this is a difficult uh, problem, and it's a difficult problem to negotiate and to g- negotiate well. And if you don't have a good conversation happening within your community across the generation. You're not going to negotiate it. I mean, there's just no way. Over here, question.
4: Uh, yeah, I'm uh, actually a college pastor in North Plano, and uh, so I'm you know I'm in this every day. But um, one of the things that I've noticed in this generation as well is that it's uh, you know maybe a good thing and a bad thing. But they um, the college students that I minister with they have a much bigger uh, picture of the church. So like it's hard for them to just view. Um, Chase Oaks Church, where I am, like, they don't see themselves as, like, an institutional member, you know, of that church. And it's um, it's a very much, you know, more of a um, fluid kind of approach to church. Um, and so my question is, um, how much do you think, you know, is that uh, maybe a positive thing and maybe starting a trend of just of churches in general being more open to working together and this bigger you know image that that we it's not just my my church and what i've my agenda my programs um or do you see that you know as as maybe a negative trend and like really you know not having that uh, that commitment and that accountability to that local you know body of believer does that make does that make sense yeah yeah
2: Uh, real quick um it depends on who you ask Uh, if you ask the senior pastor of a particular church um, he's probably going to be upset that that young person would be thinking about you know going uh, to a conference with a different church or supporting some other things um, I like to call this the difference between a kingdom mentality and a fiefdom mentality mm. um, if you have a kingdom mentality you're you're more church universal you're thinking about the body of Christ as we've talked about and and the work of evangelism and discipleship and all of us being in this together regardless of the name of the church that you go to or the location versus a fiefdom mentality which is our little enclave of people and we've got it all right we've got it figured out and if you go to another church you've betrayed someone or something Um, so in that regard I think it's positive that that young people are willing to see beyond a particular church building or church congregation and understand that we have brothers and sisters in Christ in so many different places and and in different traditions in many ways and that we have to work together if we're going to get the job of evangelism and discipleship done. And at the same time, you have more
1: of a desire for real community And connection and deeper relationships with people Um, the problem is is that we're still doing some programmatic type of things for this this thing so it's literally like buying a ticket to something or saying this is just part of my identity and who I am oh I go to this church on this Wednesday and this but but where do you find real community and where are we holding people accountable to being in real community Mm -hmm. and I think when you saw a lot of churches kind of do away with things like church discipline and things like that you saw a community start to deteriorate. And it's happened in just about every aspect of our society. It's happened in the church as well. Mm -hmm. People like bigger churches because I'm more anonymous. So if I'm more anonymous, I'm less accountable. I'm not part of that community. Yet there is this huge longing by this generation for real community. Mm -hmm. So there's an opportunity for the church to kind of do a course correct and figure out what does real community look like? And what what is it? You know, membership have its privileges, so to speak, but not in that in that kind of a concept. But what does it really mean to be a part of this? Okay, next question. Yeah, um, my question, at the risk of, hopefully, I don't sound too critical in this, but do you think part of the problem is um, for the for the evangelical church that it's sort of lost some of its distinctiveness in at what it means to practice church here in the you know in the world? So, so what essentially it seems like we're beginning to see is is more of like a, a Christianized school model to church to where you, you show up to church in in a sense that's it's almost uh, you know you, you're you're there to learn and you're you're there to be with people and you're there to grow and so so for the younger generation when when they graduate high school it's almost this feeling of they graduate church. There's nothing there's nothing distinctive about going to church on a Sunday morning that sets you apart from from other institutions, that, that is, you know, you're there to worship the Lord and you're there to enter into his presence. Um, yeah, I don't know, that's a thought that's been running no, through my mind. I think, right I think it's, that's a great observation and I think you're right. Being a part of a church is marginally better than you know giving to Starbucks uh, and what they're doing. You know, what I mean, yeah. like where is where does the difference that Jesus really makes? Right? Where is the power difference? I think this generation is asking on whose authority Mm -hmm. is the one question they're asking, and then the second question is where is the power? Mm -hmm. Uh, I think those are the two invisible questions that they're looking at everything from is, if this church really is who they say they are, where is this distinctive that that, that being a part of Jesus makes such a big difference? And I think the crisis of evangelicalism today is that there's an emphasis on being right more than, uh, I mean, uh, uh, yeah, being right rather than doing what is right and um, there's so much emphasis on belief and right thinking, but they're going, where is the effect? Where is that, that, that hands and feet that, that make the difference um, in life? And I think that's one of the greatest crises in evangelicalism right now, among a a bunch of other things uh, including political affiliations (laughs) but
0: and that and the 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 thing that we were talking about earlier where the you have these teenagers who are getting all this attention when they're in high school and then their graduation day comes and then and then all of a sudden the church opts out of their life if I can say it that way because they're at they're they're no longer in the 12th grade program is actually a manifestation institutionally what he just described which is you treat the students going through as if they're uh, I'm going to say it vividly, as if they're a commodity, and, and once the commodity hits the finish line, I release them, and, and a person who's in the midst of that says, where's the relationship that's supposed to be so central to what's going on? It shouldn't make any difference that I'm graduating. In fact, the fact right. that I'm graduating should be an enhancement mm-hmm. for, for what's taking place as opposed to a, a finish line where they release me and they're done with me now. Okay. Um, all that, I think, is important. We've got time for one more question right
1: here. Several times you've mentioned a generation, but the 18 to 34 now is both millennials and the end of Gen X. And if we really want to open it up, this really 20 to uh, 34 is having children, which are having the exact same thing going on. Uh, I've got several of my classmates that I graduated with back in the late 90s that have kids that are getting ready to go to college, and they're in the same spot now. How do we approach this three generations of adolescence? <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Jeff Arnett um, he he kind of studied this this phase and what he, what he basically came was there's kind of three different movements that are happening now um, and it's from 18 to 22 there's the launching phase of I'm um, kind of you know, going out to uh, find my way. It's not finding the way that typically would happen through the college experience. So, 18 to 22 is launching. Uh, 22 to 26 is the exploring phase, trying to figure out who I am, what works, uh, what's the right fit for me. And then the 26 to 29 phase is a landing phase. And he's done enough research to identify these really distinct movements that people go through. And they're real, unlike an adolescent in the teen years that kind of reject mom and dad, it's interesting to watch these, um, these, these young adults in this emerging adolescent thing, uh, bec- emerging adulthood uh, phase, because they're looking at mom and dad as um, collaborators now and as resources to help them. You see a lot of parents investing in their their children's business plan or idea and things like that. And so they're they're using their parents' networks to help launch what they're doing so there is some distinction that's happening um in those those different groups it's not just a thing of there's a failure to launch it's that well launching exploring landing looks really different than it did a long time ago and a lot of it is because Everything about the economy has changed. These people aren't just competing against people in their neighborhood for jobs. They're competing against people in India and China and all over the world, in the US at least. Um, And in those countries, they're experiencing a growth in that area too. I mean, I was just in India and to see over a course of 20 years of traveling there, just the, the growth of the middle class has been phenomenal. So it's not just something happening in the US, it's happening in other countries as well that they're dealing with these changes.
0: Yeah, it, And it's an interesting phenomenon and there are things that are happening that are really, really unusual. I was at a lunch at the beginning of the week with someone who works in Hollywood who does a lot of internships and he says that he's experiencing with corporations the situation where where um, young adults, 20-year-olds, are getting their first job, and you know who's negotiating their contracts with the businesses that are taught? Their parents. and And he said corporations are having to restructure the way they think about doing their contract work because there's a phenomena taking place that they hadn't been dealing with before. Mm -hmm. Um, So these changes are profound. And that's why we've highlighted this topic today is because I think we have thought about you know, we we tend to think about it like like you're moving through a school, and, and you know you're just graduating from grade to grade to grade to grade, and it's actually much more complicated than that, and it's going to take a lot more thought in thinking through how to minister to this group and and to communicate community to them effectively. And you don't. And, and if you over program, if it has an over programmed feel and an over Commodity feel to it, um, there it, there's not going to be a connection. Well uh, our time is up let me pray for us and, and, uh, and thank you uh, Jay and, and Mark for being with us. Okay. Father we do thank you for uh, this time to reflect on really what is the coming generation and we pray that as we do that and as we think about uh, what we contribute as, as men and women who've been called to church work that you would help us to be sensitive. Uh, to the way our society is functioning around us and the way to minister effectively at a personal level and at a community level and not just at a program level for those to whom we reach out. There are so many things we didn't even touch on and that is how do you prepare uh, uh, those who are in our classes for the intellectual and social challenges that they'll face. We're just talking about the church dimensions of what's being talked about and there are other layers to it. We need your wisdom. And your goodness and your grace and your guidance to do this well. And that's what we ask for. We ask it in Jesus' name.
2: Amen. Amen.